0: This is Two Girls, One Mike, the show that talks about the holes and plot holes of your favorite porn.
1: Welcome to Two Girls, One Mike, the porn cast that says if you've ever put in two tampons in accidentally, that counts as a threesome. I'm your co-host, Alice Vaughn, and with me, I have my other gorgeous co-host, Kate Kennedy with me. How are you doing, Kate? I'm alive, so that's great. Welcome
0: to the first and hopefully only ever episode of Two Girls, One Mike recorded live from my bed not in a sexy way. <laughs> All of my followers know this already probably, but I was in a terrible, terrible car accident this past weekend. It's been like four days now. So I currently cannot hold my neck up for more than 30 minutes at a time, like a small baby. And I'm in bed with many pillows behind me, but I'm doing okay. Um, I just got everything worked out with insurance yesterday. So everything is covered. And now I get to start the fun process of making doctor and chiropractor appointments
1: and everyone's alive. We'll start the next phase of the healthcare system, which is a GoFundMe.
0: Uh, Luckily, I don't have to do that. I was very concerned about it for a little while. Um, And also because I got in this accident on the way back from my cousin's rehearsal dinner when he was getting married in the morning, which by the way, still went off. I still had to hand out the wedding brochure pamphlet (laughs) shit. Wait, not like 10 hours, 10 hours prior to this. I was in a rollover car accident where I almost died. And my mom still made me hand out pamphlets at the church. So I think we've answered the question once and for all. If I died in a terrible, terrible accident, but my family had a party planned the next day, would they still do it? Because the answer is yes. The catering was very expensive. I also had to help clean up at the end of the day.
1: I mean, if it makes you feel better, if you died, they probably would have doubled it up with the funeral to save cost. See, exactly. That was
0: my thought because I was thinking about it the whole time of the wedding. I was like, oh, my God, if I had died, they would all still have come to this. They just would have been really bummed out. You know
1: the bride would have been Dude, I mean,
0: I can't even... Oh, boy. It was like a fundamentalist, like, traditional Catholic wedding, which obviously I had already been told to, like, not create drama at. <laughs> that's so difficult. It was truly an experience. I kidnapped all the little children to go sit in the grass and make flower crowns during it, because that's that's who I am.
1: I am so glad you're okay. Thank you. <laughs> me too. That was a horrific experience yeah, for you. Yeah, it was so, horrible. You know, just... It was, like, the
0: first time that's ever happened to me, and it's interesting how your body reacts to that trauma like in the days after because I think I would always assumed it would just be all at once and then you're like okay I'm fine but it's like I'm like now having like super weird nightmares and like things are you like you're like oh I feel okay this morning and then you get up for like an hour and you're like oh my god no I'm not I'm not okay
1: you're like oh it's it's very weird I feel like I'm gaslighting myself (laughs) so go support Kate by her dudes of uh, pre-car accident uh, or yeah. even post, you know, um, maybe you're into that fetish. I'm trying to take some later today. I'm trying. I have a massive bruise on my ass. You're probably going to take those photos like resting your head on a pillow though. Yeah,
0: like really sexy, like, like doggy style only for a while with like a support neck brace. Maybe people are into the neck brace thing. God, I hope so.
1: You know, there are people on OnlyFans who have neck braces just because they need to cater to a specific audience.
0: I'm worried that I'm gonna take pictures and I'm gonna get them taken down because you're not supposed to have like bruises and violence.
2: <laughs> That's literally what the movie Crash was about was like people with the like after people have been in car accidents. Like not the not the more recent crash, the earlier one, the nineties one, the Cronenberg one. It's a fetish. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Hope so. Fingers crossed. I mean, they are revising uh, the OnlyFans standards and regulations. Anyways, with that, enough about me uh, is what my mother said when people kept asking me if I was okay. Um, <laughs> I'm getting She was concerned. Uh, we have a guest with us today,
1: Alice. Yeah, we have Dominic Rodriguez, a director of the movie Fursonas. And we've done 100 plus episodes of this show, and we've never talked about furries. Oh, we've talked about furries. We never talked to a furry. Okay. We've had many questions over the years that we've been dying to ask. True. Like, if Batman wasn't a superhero, does he count as a furry? Because I think so. It's a really expensive costume, in my opinion.
2: (laughs) I'm already thinking about this, I think. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: (laughs) I think, yeah, because if you're not out protecting people and you're just dressing up like a bat, then that's...
0: But it's not a full mask. Does that? (laughs) Is there a sort of amount of face that's... I mean... Like I said, we have so many questions. It's, yeah, you no, it's still, he still has this part of his face. It's not a full, like, head piece.
2: So, yeah, this is one of the things that... I could probably wrap my disclaimer that I have for any furries that are listening into the answer to this, which is... I feel like I should just be reading this off a teleprompter. (laughs) I do not represent the entire furry community. There are many different people inside of this community. The whole Batman, the fact that the face isn't all covered, that actually kind of goes to this question of, do you need to have like the full fursuit to be considered a furry? And the answer to that is no, most furries don't have fursuits. Those are just the most visible furries that go to conventions and stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's more just a, we can get into what makes a furry later. That's a contentious thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just want to make it very, very clear to the furries that are going to get angry by what I say That I'm just talking about myself and my experience and what I see Which is just my own little biased thing that also should be taken as total truth that cannot As be we enough. all do I've given a, such a similar disclaimer
0: on so many, so many occasions of I can only speak to my own experience in sex work This is what it is I don't speak for everyone Because yeah, they are uh the fangs might be fake, but
1: they are also metaphorically very real.
0: People can gun yes. for you quick. Yes. <laughs>
1: and at the end of the day, I mean, each community, you know, there's different types of personas. You have people who engage in different things. You have your fire brands. You have your activists. You have your people who just engage because it's fun. You know, the people who dabble. And things mean different things to different people. And, I mean, this is in every community. I'm not talking specifically about furries. If you're in a magician community, this can easily apply to you. What's amazing, though, is that it's just such a specific community in which I feel like There are definitely overlaps between, like, sex workers and furries, and especially, like, how they have to portray themselves to the media and how you have to be very selective about what you say because people already have specific narratives that they want to throw out there, all the way to how people have preconceived judgments and notions. But it seems like furries have definitely gotten the Brunt. The Brennan of the stick, yeah. yeah. It seems like even people who are open to fetishes, it's like, yes, but let's all collectively shit on furries. And I don't want to do that, and I know I probably have in the past, and I obviously, like any other human, make mistakes. But that's why I brought you on, because I want to have this conversation. I want to learn more about the community. I've seen your film, Persona, so that definitely was great to have like a nice overview of the community. But let's start with the basics. Let's
0: start with me saying that there's a lot of footage online of me shit talking a lot of different marginalized groups of people. (laughs) And I have never said anything about furries, actually. That is the one group I've never, because I agree with Alice, I don't like it when everyone gings up on one person. I've also met several furries and had several friends that were into it. And they are very nice and they tend to be quite sensitive people, understandably. So yeah, you guys can go dig up every terrible thing I've said about everyone else, but you'll
1: never find me bad-mouthing furries. That said, if you're Irish, we will bad-mouth you. I'm right here, Alice.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the tide is definitely turning. I think there was a, a time when it was like, oh, you know, people were first finding out about furries and like, what the hell is this? You know, and it was just this, I think what makes people uncomfortable is that it's looks like D- Disney World, you know, there's literally like so many people were influenced by, you know, Disney characters and stuff like that and mascots and stuff like that. That's stuff you associate with. Like, it's like a, you know, and in Pittsburgh where Anthrocon is, uh, where I kind of first started going to cons and stuff, they have the big parade and everything and people want to bring their kids there and everything. And I think all that's great. I think that, but, 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 you know, it is still not uh Disney World. <laughs> it is just a bunch of different people. <laughs> some of whom I won't give a number that I'm scientifically certain about how many of them it's a fetish thing for. I know it's more than many of them claim it is. But to me, that shouldn't make it all that way. It might look weird to people because they feel uncomfortable with, you know, like, oh, it's cute. But then uh, is this some, some perverted thing? And it's like, Yes to all those things, and that doesn't mean that it has to be insidious, you know? I mean, I think we're in a more sex-positive environment than we were, like, in the late 90s, early 2000s, when a lot of the early portrayals of furry, that furries will just never stop talking about, like, like when they were on CSI or when they were on uh, Tyra Banks or whatever. These were, like, the, I don't know, watershed moments, I guess, for, for furries and feeling this need to... Change the narrative to make it like, no, no, we're not all about sex, which is true. Like, it is not all about sex. But that then turned into uh, no sexy or nothing at all, you know? And I don't think they need to be as protective of that aspect of the fandom as they felt that they used to have to be because of the fact that, like, like, like you guys, for example, you don't want to pick on furries because, like, for starters, it's too easy. Like, Like, it's just, like, the bottom of the internet trash barrel, but now we're actually closer to the top of the internet trash bar- barrel. I think we're getting, we're, we're going, we're becoming mainstream in certain ways.
0: And what world do we inhabit if not the internet
1: trash barrel, Alice? Honestly, <laughs> like uh, that is, I'm very at home. I was genuinely thinking about this. I was like, you know what? I could see how people can, you know, if hypothetically they do eroticize, like, you know, furry fandom, I could see how easy it is to slip into that. So, for example, like if you grew up around like Nala from The Lion King, Lola Rabbit, Ariel, Jacob from Twilight, Jake Gyllenhaal. I mean, what else do you call that?
2: Well, that's the thing. I think this stuff is sort of sold to you as a young person, especially when I was like entering puberty and there's just a lot this like, you know, you're watching cartoons. I was big into movies. I as a filmmaker. I was always watching movies. And there's just this kind of, I don't know. I mean, Lola Bunny is a great example of just like, you know, this is like a kid's movie and this is definitely an eroticized Rabbit person, right. and so like, what do you, what are people supposed to? Are people shocked when people grow up like, you know, jerking off to the little bunny? Like, I, I, think that's not particularly shocking.
1: People revolted when they reanimated her to be less hot.
2: Yeah, I didn't even know they did that, but that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> oh yeah,
0: one of my favorite Twitter TikTok comedians did this amazing video of this, where she's like, "The bunny, i supposed to be thick. I need my thick bunny." Where's my thick bunny? It's amazing. Uh, It's Lorena Crowley's video, it's so funny. Um, But yeah, I personally had a massive crush on all three of the Rice Krispies elves. There's, yeah, nothing my six-year-old heart wanted more than Snap, Crackle, Pop.
1: And what's amazing to me is I didn't realize that the rise of furry fandom really was also, it seems like, the rise of around animated media and its accessibility, which makes complete sense. We're all attracted to different things, you know. And frankly, look, I, I looked at, for example, quicksand porn, which I remember back in episode 10, I thought, how could someone possibly be attracted to quicksand porn? And then I realized, wait a minute, there was a period in time where sexuality was repressed. And if you closed your eyes and listened to the sound of someone sl- like slapping around in quicksand, it sounds a lot like genitals.
0: <laughs> also, I blame the secret of NIM for my enduring interest in BDSM. That movie had an outsized effect on my sexuality. I was going to say, are
2: you talking about the crow that was, he's got a lot of stuff on him? Which part? No. Because, like,
0: all of the scenes in, like, when the rats are locked in Nim and they're, like, in these cages. Uh-huh. And then there's, like, some sort of op rat operating table. Yeah.
2: That movie's a masterpiece. <laughs> like, that movie's so good. To this so day, good. I look back yeah. and I'm like,
0: I was like, I was probably like seven or eight years old being like, I want to be locked in a cage. I just thought it was cool. And then. Yeah. I find it super fascinating and I've said this about kink in all kinks in general is that I think the way our sexuality develops is that like certain things just stick and they turn into, and a lot of times when people fetishize something, it's something that maybe is, Abnormal and at first scary when you're younger because you don't understand it, and so a lot of times fetishizing things is a way to take power back.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. But it's
0: also very personal. Like everything in our life, on some level, because our sexuality is such a big part of our lives and who we are, everything that happens to us in our life, like, has some effect on it. The same way it does, like your mental and emotional health.
2: I, th- I think you're totally right. I think for me. I felt that it was really important that I get good grades when I was in, you know, like uh, middle school, high school, stuff like that. I remember my parents had said something at one point when I was in elementary school and I got like a B plus on something and I had always gotten A's up until that point. It was like fourth grade. And they were like, because it was all scr- scrapped. It was just a lot of eraser marks and stuff. And I had the option to redo it and I didn't want to. And they were like, well, you know, is that the best you can do though? And I was like, Well no, but it's fine, it's a B plus. And they were just they weren't overbearing about it at all. They were just like, you know, you should take pride in your work. That's why I'm a furry. Um because <laughs> <laughs> because it, I can trace it back to that because it was like, okay, well then school suddenly became this thing that, you know, I was able to measure my success by how well I did in school. So for me, things like dating were just like, no, nope, like not even, that's a later thing. But then, you know, you reach the age of like, you know, 11, 12, 13. And then, and then the internet is happening. It's like that, that sexual energy has to like go into something and it just went into my computer. It just <laughs> went into the fact, I think, I think definitely the internet has corrupted us all but I also think a lot of these things some of these things have been with us for a long time like even Mm -hmm. if there wasn't an internet but I think the internet has shown people things that maybe they wouldn't have ordinarily gotten into but then they see it and they find it and they see that other people are into it and they're like oh maybe I get that and then later it's like, oh my God, I can't not have this, you know?
0: Well, I think there's an enormous amount of relief and safety in finding out that you're not the only one into something kind of Absolutely. weird.
2: Because like, yeah. I know for
0: years as a teenager, because I was, I was into BDSM. I knew, I didn't even know what it was. The first time right. I saw it, it was in porn. So I really thought that the only way to do that was to do porn. And I had like very serious conversations with my 17 year old self, like, well, maybe I should do porn because I'm not gonna have like what I want any other way. It turns out mm-hmm. a lot of people are into it.
2: Oh yeah, who to, are me, not in porn. Ass- to me, that's just assumed that yeah, like, there's average a lot person. of places. <laughs> yeah, to-
0: yeah. So like, but yeah, I mean the relief. I walked into my first BDSM club when I was 20, and like the amount of just relief because I would sit up at night like crying because I thought I was like I'm so fucked up, I'm so broken. Why am I into this? No one's ever gonna love me. I'm never going to find anyone and like the amount of like relief that you feel when you know you're not alone in the world for something that the world has told you you should be alone in is a very beautiful thing.
2: Absolutely. I, yeah. I remember finding out, it was it was the serendipitous thing because I was, yeah, I guess you would say I was in denial in some sense because I was sort of like, I, I started working on my furry documentary, not identifying as a furry, but still every day jerking off to furry porn. And so it's kind of like, but in my mind, it was not something that I felt I wanted to define me. And so it was mm-hmm. like, You know, maybe I was in denial, but at the same time, I also didn't know any furries. And so it was kind of like, I'm not part of that community. So I don't really feel the need to call myself that. Um, But I was interested in learning more about it. And it just was this weird thing where before I, you know, long before I started working on the movie, when I moved to Pittsburgh, it was a couple of years after I had gotten into some furry stuff online. And then it was like, suddenly I realized that the largest at the time, furry convention in the world is in the city that I'm just in right now. And so it's like, okay, how do I convince my friends that I want to go there as a joke? You know, like, um, and I was not able to, and I didn't end up, I never even went until I started working on the movie. So it was it was through working on the movie that I was able to start to meet people and then become more a part of the community. Um, and that's how I met my husband. Well, not working on the movie, but it was during that process yeah. that I met my husband. And, you know, who's a furry?
0: obviously (laughs) well it's almost like a safety thing so that you could kind of have like that out to say like oh no i'm just working on the movie yeah just in case yeah even if you didn't have to say that just for yourself you could because i remember yeah i didn't tell anyone where i was going i like met this girl online and Mm -hmm. i remember pulling into this like dark warehouse and being like okay i'm gonna get murdered (laughs) this is how i die (gasps) yeah um but uh yeah to have that like oh yeah i'm not really i'm just i'm just observing I'm just, you know, like I'm doing, yeah, I I totally get that safety thing. Well, I'm glad that that was your entree into that world because you seem really happy in it now.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. It just felt like I was in the perfect position to make that movie at that time. Like I was just in this really unique position where I felt like I understood enough about Furry that I knew that the media portrayals made by furries were too almost... um, (laughs) like propaganda, you know, and then the more kind of tabloidy stuff was more exploitative that was not made by furries. And, and so I was like, somebody needs to make, I remember thinking in high school, somebody needs to make a movie about this. Cause I know enough to know that somebody needs to make a movie about this. I didn't think it would be me. I didn't think I would have to, but it just was like, I don't know. For me, it's like making a movie is a thing that you want this thing to exist and it doesn't exist yet. And I felt like that didn't exist. And I also felt like I have just enough insight to know that I know what questions to ask, but also there are so many things that I don't know still. So many people, I just don't know anybody. I'm not part of this. So I was half in, half out, as I like to say.
1: Which I think is a perfect combination when you want to approach really any given topic, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because you're coming in Without biases. Well, you might, everybody has biases, but you're not already coming in saying, okay, this is a narrative I want to build my story around, mm-hmm. which unfortunately happens really frequently. I can't tell you how many times where I've been on the phone with a reporter and they're like, yeah, but people in adult feel like this, right? I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to tear down whatever that narrative is so I can get my opinion through. And it's really frustrating. So I, I totally understand where you're coming from of, I didn't see what I wanted exist, which was like that happy medium of being inquisitive, asking questions, seeing multiple different sides, but trying to get an honest view of this without right. being overly in the fandom and feeling like, you're portraying mostly the fandom to the fandom. Yeah.
2: You don't want to feel beholden to them and the image they want to present, but you also want to do right by them as well. (laughs) Um, And you mentioned biases and it's an interesting, I'm glad you mentioned that word because it's like, I I had this illusion for so long that I, and I think part of it was that I, I had some opinions, but at the same time, I just wanted to meet people and find things out and just learn for myself what it's like to just, Meet. So I was just trying to just any furry that would talk to me. I Now, granted, I did mostly only talk to people that had fursuits, because to me, that showed that you were enough in this into this community. There's something very symbolic of putting on the mask. I mean, I just think visually, there's something very beautiful about that. And so I got some flack for that because it's like, well, not every furry has a fursuit. But I think most furries tend to still want them. I, a lot don't. But you know what? I'm just going to speak in generalizations and they will just have to forgive me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I thought that we're just going to see where this goes. I'm not going to impose a narrative on it if it's just a weird, boring art film that just goes from one portrait to another to another with nothing to tie it together other than these are all furries. I don't know. You tell me. That's what it was going to be. And then I just became more invested in these people after working on the film for four years. And I started to become pretty biased due to the fact that, you know, I'm kind of coming to terms with the fact that I want to be a part of this community. On top of that, the person that was the chairman, that is the chairman of Anthrocon, was saying some pretty provocative things about uh, people who I had interviewed. And I felt like this is wrong. We are We are kind of doing all this infighting to try to save our image when it felt completely unnecessary to me. So I started to really have very passionate opinions. And so that's one of the things that people say about the documentary is like, oh, he's so biased. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I definitely, I realized that, you know, every documentary is biased, whether they show it to you or not. And we just decided to show it to you.
0: Like I've said this about bias in the past, because I had an anthropology teacher tell me this one time, which I think is, like so incredibly important when we talk about bias at all is that bias, everyone has bias. Bias is like a contact lens. It's the lens on your eye. It's the lens through which we view the world and everyone's is warped by their perspective, like necessarily by their experiences, by what they've been through. So it's impossible not to have bias. Like I would love to make a documentary about porn, but I already know that I'm completely biased. I think you standing on the cusp Of those two worlds of what in one point, like being the storyteller, but also knowing like that much about the fandom and kind of being able to see also like some of the flaws with it. I think that's really, really important because that's the only way you get an actual honest perspective.
2: Yeah. I mean, I I think it was just this weird lucky series of events, just where I was at the time and, and and what I didn't know plus what I found out over the course of making it. and then and I think a lot of times people will tell you like don't get too close to the people you're interviewing. you know, you don't want to feel like you are becoming too cl- like like friends with these people and stuff. And but so much of whether you're in like queer circles or especially like furry circles, which is a very queer community, there are a lot of people, a lot of open relationships, a lot of lines that get blurred between like friends, sexual partners, romantic partners, what have you. It's like pick two out of three, you know, and kind of shift it around for who you know. And and I just felt like because I'm part of this community, I don't mind just feeling like, okay, I've I've become friends with these people, most of them. And so I don't care anymore about the fact that, that that's something I'm passionate about because it's true. And it's it's this is my view of the fandom and and one of the things that we don't ever do in the movie is define what a furry is um because it's not necessarily meant to be educational as much as you just kind of form your own I mean it's there is definitely like definition and that's just like people that are fascinated by anthropomorphic animals but I just hate that because I feel like it doesn't it's it's broad and yes it like encompasses it but like fascinated can mean so many things, and since it just means so many different things to different people, I feel like it's more just like, just meet these people, draw your own conclusions, experience it, and maybe you agree with me and maybe you don't. But make make more movies about this, please. You know?
1: So... It's really interesting because I've been in the atheist community and what was amazing was watching your film was seeing, oh yeah, you have your firebrands, people who are super into it, people who are super outspoken, you have your people who attend, and then also you have a lot of people who just attend conferences to bone and that's it.
2: Mm -hmm. They
1: exist. And (laughs) it's the same people. It's the same people every single conference. Uh Okay, You already know the group they're in. You meet them and it's like, Donna, you are boning Steve. I know this. You are... Are swingers, <laughs> a new person comes in, you test the waters with them to see what group they fall into. It happens whether, again... The swingers community is the oil spill of the communities. It just leeches
0: into all the other communities. Now, there's one that I often talk shit on. You can find we, hours of footage about me talking about how I don't like swingers. <laughs> hey. We are
1: sex positive, except to swingers. Least organized of all the communities. <laughs> We're kidding.
2: Now, when you say swingers, you you're just talking about. Is there any difference between that and just like open relationship people? Is that is- my
0: opinion on this? Having been not in the swingers world, I was obviously more in the king side of it. But again, they fucking their little tendrils get into everywhere. Is that it's often couples? They're usually like married for a while, often like middle aged. And like, they're just relentlessly horny. Mm -hmm. Like everyone's horny, but it's like, like you're saying, Donna, like it's too fucking much. Like you're too horny for the furry conference.
2: (laughs) Okay. So swingers is more like what I picture when I think of like the eighties movies with the key parties and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And especially in like within the BDSM world, and I would assume this is somewhat similar from what I've heard of my friends that I knew who overlap between the BDSM world and the furry world is that like consent is super, super important. Like consent is our biggest thing, way more than the whips and chains. And a lot of times because the swingers community is typically not super organized, Like they go to like parties, but they don't go to meetups. They don't, you don't go to classes about how to be a better swinger. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm going to say that and watch. There's probably classes, but uh, (laughs) they tend to have a much looser definition of consent. So like almost every single time anything ever kind of sketchy happened to me in that world, it was always a swinger. It was almost never someone from the community that would like come up and touch me without permission or consent. And that just kind of ruins it for everybody, in my opinion.
1: So, if you identify as a swinger, we're not trying to intentionally shit on you specifically. I am. Maybe I don't we're, like you. Okay. <laughs> well, maybe we're picturing though, like I don't know, more of a boomer gen. It is. It's such an archetype. I say
2: like, because everybody like a lot more open relationships are happening now. So this yeah. is not quite the same as what the, the culture that you're describing.
1: We're talking about the people who like older generation, older or generation. Like, we don't know how to navigate consent sure. but we want to yeah. be involved okay. I find also too is that the older
0: generation is more likely to identify as swingers Whereas people of our generation, millennials, even in Gen X, are far more likely to be more specific because, like, I was in poly relationships. Mm -hmm. I, like, taught classes on, like, ethical non-monogamy. So, like, open relationships are fucking fine. Have your Mm -hmm. polycule, have your girlfriend, whatever. Like, I am super down for it. It's always—that's why my point is that it's swingers. It's always people that identify as that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because it is an older generational concept Not that, again, there's nothing wrong with getting off on it unless the thing you're getting off on is touching people that did not say that was okay.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Or making
0: like very bold sexual advances towards someone that is not reciprocating.
2: It's so weird because at my first con that I went to for fun, (laughs) like, because I was there, well, okay, I guess maybe second, but it was the first one I went to in my fursuit because I had bought a fursuit and I was, it's super cute and I was all like, oh my gosh. This is going to be so great, you know, I'm going to have so much sex and it's going to be fucking awesome. Because, like, the, the big thing about furry that's different than other things, and I've talked about this in other interviews, but I think it's just so special and so cool, is that so much of the porn is the art. People, you know, make these, uh, this beautiful art of their character, they'll commission it and stuff, and, you know, you'll you'll recognize characters and you'll go, oh, that's, you know, this person. I I either recognize their character because I see, maybe I've seen the fursuit around, like in real life, or I've seen it online, or I've seen their porn or whatever. And, you know, this used to be something that I was just so fascinated by. It's like this group of friends, but they all seem to be fucking. And I just don't really, like, what is this? But then, you know, the more I kind of came to understand, there's some real beauty in this because it's like, for starters, the just erotic art is really beautiful in that like, it kind of feels like the opposite of like when just somebody shoots just like an amateur porn. It's like on, on one hand, you know, especially when it comes to like, uh, like straight porn, uh, there's this sense of, dehumanization that can happen, you know, not always, but sometimes. And that's not, you know, if people people can whatever, I'm not judging what people are into. I'm just more saying that when it comes to like video pornography, to people smashing, like they become more like bodies, you know. And it and so it's almost like there's a stripping away of humanity that happens as opposed to when you start with it's just a drawing. There's nobody there. You're drawing these animal characters, so you have to put the humanity into it, and you have to, like, with light and shadow suggest eroticism in a still frame. And so, to me, that's the argument for why porn can totally be art. And then on top of that, the fact that I can, you know, meet somebody at a convention that whose character I've been, like, just jerking off to since I, you know, as long as I can remember, And and I meet them, and then uh, and if they want to have sex, we can have sex, and you can fuck your heroes, and that's what I always say because it's just nobody else gets to do that. You know, it's such an exciting thing that these we become by being fans of ourselves by creating our own content. We've learned how to just suck our own dick, and we're like an uraburo of dick sucking. It's beautiful.
1: (laughs) Now, just to be clear, if you get into any niche group whatever you probably can (laughs) fuck your heroes now whether you should or shouldn't that's on you yeah i'm gonna just leave that out in the open because
0: nothing more disappointing than finding out your hero has a micro penis (sighs) let me tell you
2: unless you know you're into that sometimes i think you know the small dick big balls thing underrated just me But yeah, I'm talking
0: like under three inches here. Like there's nothing we can do with this. That's fine. And I'm not personally into small penis humiliation. I am into small penis encouragement. I do want them to know that they have other attributes. But I would say really quickly with the, because dehumanization in porn is a topic I need to touch on now that it's been brought up. I think that actually has fundamentally more to do with the way that the intended audience for the porn consumes it. Because I would say that many, if not most straight people, at least I can speak for most of the straight community, a lot of times when people watch porn, they're not watching it to see these two people fucking. They're watching it to imagine themselves within it. Right. So you actually kind of want that dehumanization aspect of it because yeah. of how the product is consumed. Not to say that you're the actress or actors are being dehumanized actively on set. Yeah.
2: And it's not an inherently bad thing. No, it's not. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I just wanted to touch on that is that I don't always think that the dehumanization aspect of it is necessarily bad because that's clearly the way that whether it's bad or good, it's the way that we consume it. Right. And to ignore that would be to create an inferior product for the market that there is yeah so you know, whereas like with what you're saying with especially with first, because you guys know each other and you're like fans of each other. so you're you actually want to see these two specific oh, yeah characters exactly. however many characters fuck, yeah, because you know their characters. So it's more of like when you want to see like two really hot actors smash
2: mm-hmm.
0: in a movie where you're like, oh, I actually want to see their characters hook up rather than imagine myself in their shoes.
2: Mm-hmm. But then it's like, you get the best of both because, you know, they end up being cool because you can meet them, then you can be in the movie. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, And the thing that I, before I forget, like, this is going to sound weird because earlier I had referenced like this first furry convention I had went to. So just to clarify, kind of, I think it was what we were talking about. I don't know how it related, but it had to do with, oh, with consent and things like that. It was, I had a very strange experience where I... You know, I had bought this beautiful fursuit. I was so excited about it. And it looked exactly the way I wanted it to. And it was super cute by furry standards. I think most people would find it cute. You know, I was just like, wow, I'm going to just, people are going to be so into me. People, I, I, uh, I'm just gonna be such to such a hot, hot item at this con. I'm so excited. And it very quickly became the first situation when there were people that wanted to have sex with me. And I didn't want to have sex with them, and I was. And I remember there was like this, like trucker with no teeth, who I still ended up having sex with, but at the time I didn't want to. And and then there was, uh, I don't know, this other guy who just was very kind of grabby, and they were just on either side of me, and they were we were in this dance thing, and they were just kind of, and I just kind of felt like I don't want to do this, I don't want to be here right now, and I just sort of like disengaged, and I looked at them, and I said whatever year it was, I was like, it's 2015, I do not have to be here if I don't want to, (laughs) and I ran away. And, uh, and, and, I was like, wow, this must be what girls do. That is exactly how I would react in that situation. Um, and I'd never experienced yes. that because it was always like, if someone wants to have sex with me, it was such a, that, I don't know. I wasn't, it was like a, it was a pretty rare thing. It was not a, a thing that I was used to. I was not used to being desired, you know? And so to suddenly be desired, you'd be amazed how, when you cover up every part of yourself and become a cartoon animal that doesn't talk, how many people get into that, um,
1: so, a couple things just to comment on. First off, the costumes themselves are not cheap. Um, Jews, I think I was reading somewhere they range between anywhere from like five hundred to like ten grand, even
2: I mean, yeah, some can be stupid, expensive. Um, mine for the partial, which is like, which is what I prefer to do, which is like everything but the torso. Um, And when, when you get a full suit, which is like entirely for the, you have to do like a duct tape dummy where you cover yourself in duct tape and then like send that dummy in where they can get your perfect measurements. And I did end up getting a torso later, but what I didn't like about it as much was the, I like wearing clothes with it. I like the appearance of like, you know, I can wear this shirt and then put like the head under here. And it just, it still kind of looks like me as opposed Mm to, I feel like there's less personality in the full suit suit um but but the partials are cheaper that doesn't mean cheap um and it depends on who you're getting it from some people just make them themselves and some people do a great job Um, and that's why uh boomer the dog who lives in pittsburgh like like 20 minutes from my house uh well from i live in california now but i used to live in pittsburgh and uh and he made his for seven dollars and it looks amazing because he just used uh he's a sheepdog and he just cut shredded paper and it was just the coolest thing and you know I got mine for $2,000 and, you know, for me, it was totally worth it because it was like, I've had so much fun in this thing and I'm going to have it forever. And, uh, but you know, I admire the fact that when people get creative with it, because that's what the fandom supposed to be about, you know, you shouldn't, I have some shame in the fact that, you know, I just kind of had the idea of like, make it brown and then just paid for <laughs> it. And that was my thing, you know. And I just, you know, I don't have that talent to be able to just kind of, you know, see something in my head and then just craft it together.
1: I mean, that's not
0: easy. I could be incorrect about this. Um, but I read there was a long article. I think it was in, it was like in the New York Times or something uh, a few years ago. There's one in particular shop. I think there's a lot of people that do custom orders like more and more on Etsy for fursuits and such. But there was like one specific shop in Portland, I think, in Oregon that makes these very high-end furry costumes. They had, like, started doing it, and they're actually so good that now they're, like, the main supplier of also most major mascot outfits.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: Because, like, the quality that these people put into it is so far and away from, like, what the people that only do mascots are creating that they now have like this huge, even though they still do fursuit commissions for I'm sure thousands and thousands of dollars, a huge part of their business is now very, very mainstream like college sports teams.
2: Oh yeah. I mean, cause they look so much pretty. I mean, you look so at a lot good. of mascot costumes and then you mm-hmm. look at a lot of fursuits and the prettiest fursuits are just like, I mean, they're works of art, you know mm-hmm. I mean? And it's really understandable why, you know, mascot People would want to seek that out.
1: I was reading um, something where actually Disney themselves, they commissioned people who make furry costumes to work on their own costuming because it wasn't equivalent to what their people could have put out, which, you know, really says a lot about the quality and the time and the effort and the energy to make these really anamorphic costumes.
0: I wonder if it was the same article because I think they did mention Disney. Oh, it's very possible. Now that you say that, I'm like, I wonder if it was because, yeah, I mean, costuming in general is such a niche thing to be really, really good at those kind of anthropomorphic costumes. Um, and it, like, it's a ton of engineering as well as like the crafting. And also do they get hot? I really like, how do you stay cool when you're in that head, especially?
2: (laughs) Yeah. So the partial makes it so much easier. So the fact that it's a, you'd be amazed how much just that last bit, like covering your torso does to make the whole thing feel like a microwave. Um, But it still gets really hot. It's mostly in the head. The thing about it is it kind of plateaus. Like you get to a certain level where you put it on and you're just instantly dripping sweat. But then it's like, then you start having fun and then you kind of forget about it. There are fursuiters that will can go for hours. And I mean, some people have like little ice pack things under them or fans in the head. My husband has a fan inside of his head, which I'm super jealous That's, of.
0: That's I was curious if they put yeah. fans inside the heads. I had a feeling that they did.
2: Yeah. But I don't have a fan in my head, but then I don't have to worry about like chopping someone's dick off if I'm blowing them with my (laughs) fursuit head on, so, you know.
0: (laughs) Oh, no, blood. Yeah, I think the Venn diagram of furries and anti-maskers is two entirely different circles.
2: Well, yeah, because, you know, I mean, I was wondering how much a fursuit, I mean, it's definitely not a medical-grade mask, but definitely if you sneeze in a fursuit... That's mostly staying in the fursuit. Like, it's mostly just on you inside of there.
0: Well, there's no furry that's going to be like, this cotton mask is choking me. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) I definitely know at least one furry anti-masker. I'm more assuming just because of his politics. How does that work? It's just Well, it's in the same way that, like, you know, if it's a very conservative, like, doesn't believe in gay marriage, but also is gay himself...
1: That's interesting. I would encourage that person. It's like, no, you have to wear your fur head around me. I'm sorry. It's either the mask or the fur head. You take your pick. I think we should just start giving everyone that option. The world would
2: <laughs> be a more yeah, fun place. Yeah, fursuits are also optional. I like optional. that.
1: That's
0: really interesting, though, because uh, I'm super curious about that. I think people would assume that the furry community is probably incredibly liberal, What is, like, the political breakdown in that? Because I was surprised in BDSM as well that how many, like, it was more of a spectrum than I expected it to be, as well as in porn.
1: And I was surprised, frankly, to learn in the furry community how many more people you had that were bisexual and... Gay versus, you know, as opposed to the general population. So I assume uh, the furry community could be potentially more liberal, but I have no idea. They could be all be libertarians or conservatives for all I know. Yeah,
2: they're certainly not all conservatives. I, that I can say with certainty. It, it does tend to trend more liberal, I would say. Um, you know, you're going to find outliers. I mean, the one like hardcore opposite of me, conservative friend, is somebody that I met working on the documentary. And we talk mostly because I feel like I need to be this ambassador as a liberal. Like, look, you know, I I like to believe that even if we don't have the same facts, there's some way for us to communicate because the way that we're bifurcating in just the country and the world is so upsetting. And I think people need to talk to each other. I remember seeing like an article, um, like some headline that was like, should I talk to my family members that, or friends that voted for Trump? And the answer is like, yes, of course. You know, just because you, and I get it, like it's a super contentious thing, but it's just as hard for these people to accept your worldview as it is for you to accept theirs. So what you have to be willing to do is just listen, even if it's hard. And so that's kind of the relationship I have with that person. But for the most part, fandom's pretty damn liberal now. I also think that what liberal is, is kind of changing. And like, to me, progressivism is, like, a very open-minded thing, and there is also a sense of, and I know words like cancel culture have this kind of, like, very conservative kind of feel to them, but, I mean, there are people that get roped into controversies when they, when it's silly, you know, uh, like, more kind of guilt by association stuff. There's this sense of everybody's, since everybody's being witnessed online and they want to be witnessed doing good or, you know, having the right distance from someone who has found out to have maybe done something bad or have had a bad opinion or said something bad. There's a sense of, I mean, I, I get why as a not conservative person, I understand why conservative people may feel that, you know, oh, you just can't say anything anymore. And I, I don't agree with that entirely, but I also understand that like, you know, there is this almost like, I don't know, I'm trying to tread the line. Where I'm just, basically, I just, I try to understand people I think is what yeah. it comes down to and I think especially when it's hard especially when it's like the hardest you know? What you're saying is you're a normal human yeah, being You're, you're
0: probably <laughs> a pretty good person who practices empathy for other people and <laughs> understands that context is very important You're willing
1: to listen to opinions other than your own and the ones you agree with I'm shocked, how dare you It
2: sounds, I mean I I've, I feel like I've gotten in trouble for saying that.
1: <laughs> It's like the
0: whole trend of like cancellation by association. Like I keep seeing tweets from people where someone will tweet something like heinous. And then people will like retweet it and be like, I can't believe I have mutuals following this person unfollowed all of you. It's like, well, maybe I just fucking wasn't on Twitter today.
1: Yeah, exactly. Why
0: do you assume I saw everything this person says? Like, I I don't know when people are going to pop off and be shitty.
2: Oh, wait, it's going to get worse. We used to be able to have weird friends, you know, like sometimes you have that kooky friend that believes different things than you. And now it's like that's almost not allowed. (laughs) You know, like you're supposed to pick a side. And I don't like that. I think that yeah. it's she, it, a lot of people have very complicated beliefs when you yes. really drill it down. I think it looks like we're a lot more polarized than we are, but we still also are pretty polarized, and it scares me.
1: Yeah. We're exceptionally polarized. I mean, if you look at us politically, especially in Congress, we're the most polarized where we've ever been politically. But, I mean, it, it's... This whole cancel culture thing is nonsense. I mean, I've had people literally tweet at me, why are you following X person? I'm like, because I want to see what they say? How
2: dare I? (laughs) Yeah, I think you should always want to understand, even if it's the opposite of what you believe. I think it's it's like people want to shut themselves off from mm-hmm. things that that's don't That's your choice. Yeah, and it's and, and and that's scary to me this idea of I mean it's just more echo chambers which is not good. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, and also the idea like we were talking earlier of the way you know the way your sexuality develops is very similar to the way your political and social leanings develop is that things happen to you everything about how like who you become is an amalgamation of the things that happen to you over time. So like there's a lot of shitty people that I know that I'm like, yeah, you're a shitty person and I don't want to hang out with you. We don't agree on stuff, but I can like look at your life because I've known you forever and be like, oh, this thing happened and this thing happened. Like, no wonder you turned out the way you because like, you can do the same with my life. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh, no wonder you turned into the person you are. And I think when you give people that grace to at least be where they're at based on where they have come from. Then it's a lot easier to have empathy for them. But I think that's something that's massively missing in our country right now. So I'm glad we brought this up. Man. I just wanted to know if suits were sweaty and we've gone into so oh. many <laughs>
2: important topics. So this is, I'm that was tangent, probably man. the only
0: question I wrote down uh, before we started. Yeah.
2: They are sweaty, yes. Um, <laughs> definitely sweaty. And uh, I think, I don't know how we got from one to the other, but just the last thing on that before I forget, is just my mom would always say, there but for the grace of God go I. And I didn't actually fully understand what that meant until I realized there were commas in it or at least it's meant to be read with commas in it, like there, over there, but for the grace of God, but for, you know, my circumstances and luck, you know, go I. Like I could, maybe this doesn't need to be explained, but it needed to be explained to me. You know, it's just this idea of like, I could be anybody. I could be that person under Mm -hmm. different circumstances. And it's just you know whether you believe in god or not it's through luck really that i'm not that person over there or that person in jail or that drug addict or that i mean it's it's you know and so i try to be christian in the not religious sense but in the accept everybody if and and try to understand everybody i think is what it comes down to for me
1: we like those kinds of christians
2: yeah um. <laughs> like how the, just like literally that what christ yeah the the idea of what he was talking about you know it's revolutionary to say love people because like right now people do not want to do that
0: <laughs> christians we don't like are the ones that plan a two-hour wedding mass all about <laughs> wives submitting to their husbands and how a child needs a mother and a father and then force their innocent cousin porn star cousin to sit through it 10 hours after she was in a rollover car accident we are not super big fans of those Christians, if you're listening,
2: guys. It took me a minute to figure out who we were talking about, and then I quickly got (laughs) narrowed down. (laughs) Two
1: hours. (laughs) Two hours.
2: Wow. Yeah. No, that's not great. Yeah.
1: I guess for me, the most surprising thing of, so going back to furries and fandom, was learning that almost all furries, it has nothing to do with sexual attraction to real animals and yes, zoophiles out there exist. But I mean, pretty much when it comes to, like, for example, a furry fandom, it seems like there's more of a role-playing character-building side to it. And knowing people who are really into RPG games, that made a lot of sense to me. Because you're always going to want to build upon your character, you're going to become attached to it, you're going to want to improve it, and most importantly, you want other people to interact with your character, and when that was explained to me at one point, I realized, oh, I can relate to that. You know, I've played tabletop games. I have played RPG characters. You know, if you play them long term, you do become developed and attached and you know want to improve on it. And you have a backstory and a direction you want to take the character towards. So that makes a lot of sense to me. I never realized that there were people who were part of the fandom where it's like, nope, I'm just in it because I love the community and they just really enjoy this particular thing.
2: Yeah, I think so much of it was, I mean, I came for this very specific like, sexual sort of just need that I was like, all right, I got to find something. And And then it was like, then I started to become fascinated by what the culture was like since I wasn't a part of it. And then once I got into it, I met some of the best friends I've ever had. I met my husband. I met, and and I made connections that I never would have made otherwise. So, you know, it's like this, you know, some people compare it to a family, but I think that's, you should interpret that every way, which is kind of like, you know, a family in that, yes, everybody kind of knows each other. It's much a smaller or like a small town, um, even though it's rapidly growing. But then also, you know, it's a dysfunctional family, too. And there are people that, uh, you know, won't talk to each other. And yeah,
0: it's a community. And I think one of the biggest things that's missing from a lot of our generation's lives is the value of community, because community gets means getting to be in a safe place like with your like a family. Uh, where people understand you and you have a common set of beliefs, but also like community means sometimes helping people out or being nice to people, even when you don't really care for them because you recognize that you're on the same team. And I think that's really important to know of like, I mean, when I was growing up, we brought casseroles to families at our church that my dad couldn't fucking stand, but those are nice things to do. Cause then you know that when you're in that position, other people will be there for you. And I think that that sense of community is so important to, everyone, but like, I'm glad that you guys, you found it there.
2: Yeah. And it was a little more rosy at first, you know, Mm as this kind I remember I made a 12 minute documentary and it was my senior thesis film for college. It was the last you know movie I made. It was only 12 minutes long. And it was like, almost like the theme of it was, and this was, this was year one of what would become this four year thing. And then eventually an 80, 80 some minute documentary. And it was like the theme of it was like, look, there's these like six different people. They are all into this for different reasons but they're all family. They're all part of the same thing, and they all like each other. And then I realized later, uh, I remember talking to a friend about how naive I was about this. With the, she just like laughed at me and was just like, furries hate each other. What are you talking about? <laughs> and it's like, so much of it's on the internet. So much of it is this kind of um, maybe miscommunications and stuff. And there's a lot of drama. <laughs> it's a word that gets thrown around a lot.
1: <laughs> Why would you say that happens? Is it because... There's so much polarization with the media and people are like, oh, well, you portrayed us this way. Or is it just because they believe the fandom is one thing that should exist versus how
2: other people act on it? I'm curious.
1: Why is there so much hate?
2: I think the community is big enough to look at it, at least the way I look at it, as this kind of microcosm of what's going on in the world, you know, because it's this community that you could point to, like, what happens in religion with the way that people go like, no, this is what it means, no, this is what it means, and argue about it, you know. Uh, So it doesn't necessarily need to be furry to use that as a microcosm, but that's sort of the lens I use for looking at the way identity and community conflict. Because you can say, like, this is my identity, I am a furry, and I'm part of this group of people that use that same word. But since it means something different to all of them, sometimes that's, you know, and a lot of times they celebrate that and they think that's great. But then a lot of times that can be really contentious because it's like, and this is something that I just don't get, which is the sense of, you know, you're accepted for your weird stuff sexual proclivities, you know, you want to have sex with, you know, Nala or Simba or whatever. And it's like, that's awesome. Good for you. You go. And granted, when I first learned about diaper furries, I was a little bit like, oh, I had never sexualized a diaper before. I don't, it was more just kind of like intriguing and I didn't get it, but it felt like, It's just so funny to me that there are still people for whom, you know, like, oh, my, you know, vore, like people that are into vore, like the idea of being like digested or whatever. It's like, oh, my, my fetish is fine. But anything that I consider 1% weirder, like, what are you doing here? Get out of here. Get out of my fandom. And it's just like, you got accepted for your thing. Like, extend that courtesy to people that you consider weirder than you. I mean, in my mind, so much of this is just fantasy. People just want to have their fantasies and live them out uh, with consenting adults. So I just don't get why... We can't get along better. But I guess, yeah, I think it reflects what's going on in the country in some ways. I think people are polarized. There's a lot of just tension. And I'm sure COVID didn't help. <laughs> you know?
1: Someone is always going to be Afghanistan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My ex boyfriend used to get
0: in trouble for being too kinky at dungeons quite often, but in their defense, he lit a girl on fire one time. So, like, oh. they had like good reason to be. He'd be like, Why can't I do this? And he'd be like, Because fucking dude, Derek, because not everyone wants to see a blood draw right now.
2: Yeah, that's uh, was she okay?
0: <laughs> yes. Because uh, she's tough as nails. She was covered in uh, hypodermic needles, like play piercings, uh-huh. all down her front. And then they used alcohol to clean the skin, and too much alcohol was left on her skin. And then they put a violet wand on her, and it caught on fire. Wow. And so just her whole torso, like all the <gasps> alcohol, it burned off really fast because it was alcohol. Yeah. But she like hopped up in the air and slammed down to put the flames out oh on her God. front, on like 10 hypodermic needles in her torso. Oh my
1: God it
0: was like one of the most and then she like got up she's like so okay? is it out and my friend's like everyone just like took a step back and was like who the fuck are you and she like got up she's like it's okay i'm okay and then just took the needles out herself that's
2: pretty that's pretty amazing
0: i know and then she wanted to give me a big hug and i was like not now but <laughs> i'm so glad you're okay and also god damn it derek also, someone lent him their furry headpiece one time because he really wanted to try wearing
2: it, and he was so
0: excited. He, like, ran around the convention. He was like a little kid. It was precious.
2: A lot of people get really into it that are, you know, that that wouldn't think that they'd be into it. Yeah. I mean, there's a – I mean, I think a lot of people are just – I mean, that's why people like Disney movies, not necessarily – and, like, the thing, that's the thing is that, like, even for furries that it's not a sexual thing for, it's like there's just something – it's cute. It's just, it's cute. We're drawn to cuteness. I think it's I like, find
0: Disney adults much scarier than furries.
2: Not Disney. even in the same
0: caliber of people that I'm afraid of.
2: Uh huh. When you mean, yeah. when you say Disney adults, what do you mean by just that? Just
0: adults that are super, super into Disney. I don't uh-huh. know. I live near Disneyland. Uh huh. And I didn't grow up with, like, I mean, I've seen Disney, but I'm not, like, obsessed. But I'm always, I mean, people should like what they like.
2: Yeah.
1: Look, we're not judging, but if you don't have children and you're constantly every year making an annual trip yeah. to Disney World and or Disneyland.
0: Or if you do have children and instead of giving them a college fund, you have an annual pass.
2: Uh-huh.
0: I would like some words. If you drive a minivan with like more than five Mickeys on it, I need to talk to you about climate change.
2: I wonder, maybe these people should just be going to furry convention. Maybe that's yeah. really, yeah, I don't know.
0: It's always interesting. There was people at the wedding this weekend that were like, "Oh, you live in LA? Like, do you go to Disneyland all the time?" And I was
1: like, "No." I'm more concerned about those people than I am about the furry furry community. Oh, way more concerned. I'm way oh, more concerned. And then you know who I'm also as concerned about? People who are really into Harry fucking Potter. Yes. Who? Uh, yes. That's the same category for me. It's not Disney an adults, identity. Adults. You're,
0: yeah, you're 32. I don't fucking care what Hogwarts house you're in. I'm a (laughs) Hufflepuff, obviously. But we don't need to talk about it. Like, I fully wore a lightning bolt-shaped scar that I drew on my forehead with my mom's lip liner every day
2: to third grade, and I still know when it's appropriate to talk about Harry Potter. Yeah. That is a true story. Uh, Harry Potter is an interesting example because it's like, you know, this is, I think a lot of furries will, will liken the fandom to any other fandom you're like oh whether mm-hmm. you're into sports whether you're into harry potter whether you're into trees or, i actually or think we- it's weirder
0: that the harry because the harry potter ones are not sexual and the disney ones are okay. not sexual i'm so glad and you I, brought I kind this up. of find it interesting because i'm like you're an adult could this be like an adult hobby yeah, like, so I understood how it could be sexual.
1: Okay, I've gotten into some weird fanfics with sexual like dumbledore shape sure sure. stuff.
0: I'm sure it could be, yeah. but I but the majority of people that are in like that are not children and are super into Harry Potter, I don't think feel sexualize
1: it. I think though that people who listen to this podcast who are going to yell at us otherwise because they're Disney moms or really into Harry Potter. Do you think we have a large demographic of Disney moms that listen to this podcast?
2: (laughs) We'll find out. We should go on Social Blade.
1: (laughs) Based on how much hate mail we receive and how bad our review becomes after this, um, (laughs) we'll we'll find out. Oh, I thought you meant we were getting a lot of hate mail, and I was really excited and kind of pissed that you weren't forwarding it to me. (laughs) That just means people aren't sending enough. But at the end of the day, I think those people who are part of those communities who don't understand furries, for you guys, you need to realize that very much is a community you identify with and meant something to you. And honestly, I think for a lot of people, Disney and Harry Potter came during an adolescent time where they were trying to explore, express themselves, Mm -hmm. much like furry fandom. same. Yeah comes to a lot of other individuals, you know, during those times where they're developing, trying to reach out to other individuals, trying to figure out who exactly they are, which is why I see it as now not really that different. Frankly, though, I find it better than those other two groups because they're just less obnoxious about it. That said, if furries ever become as obnoxious as Harry Potter people or Disney moms... I'm sorry, Dominic. I'm going to really hate the group. You
2: probably just haven't read enough of what furries have said on the internet. But <laughs> furries are very obnoxious. Um, I guess it depends on... That's the thing, is you can kind of find your group within the group that of people yeah. that are like you. I think, you know, a lot of furries don't like furries um, because of the, you know, whether it's because it's people being obnoxious, whether it's people that are kind of trying to uh, gloss over the sexual stuff to try to make it this... To try to sell it as this... A cleaner thing than it uh, than it actually is, which has also shifted. I think because we're in a more sex positive environment now. I think people are a lot more comfortable with sharing that. You know, yeah, I fuck in the suit, but then I wash it, and so big deal. You know.
1: Also, props to you if you fuck in a suit. It's hot. Yeah, I can't do that. I am, gosh, I I really can't do a lot. I like to fuck in a t shirt sometimes.
2: That's what I liked to do yeah. was was just have it on and then just like maybe get a blowjob like and it's just one of those things where it's kind of like I can just lay here. And I can have my costume on, and then uh, I don't have to overexert myself. And so that worked for me.
1: It's a win-win. You get a blowjob, they get to fulfill a fantasy.
2: See, this is why I'm so glad that we can say the word blowjob on this, only because I was interviewed once by the the New York Post, which was a bad idea. And uh, because I just wanted to say yes to everything. I was like, you know, whatever gets my movie out there, I just want people to see it. I just want as many people to see it as possible. And it was just one of these things where... I mentioned people. The person asked me, "Like, do you have sex in your fursuit? suit?" And I was like, "Well, personally, I like to put it on and get a blowjob." Which I think just sounds kind of <laughs> funny. That just sounds kind of funny. Yeah, it's but funny. what that's they good, did was they, they 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 did one of those things where in brackets they kind of you know change to kind of clean it up. Yeah. And they and it was the response was I like to put on my fursuit suit and receive fellatio. And I just remember like reading that and being. Horrified because I Which was. Which sounds like, so much that's worse so than So much blowjob. worse, yeah. It it's sounds like so much worse. It's so, it's so much more like it's like something you'd read in like a court like filing yeah. of like, and then he like you know severed her head and received felatio. <laughs> like it just yeah. sounds so <laughs> awful. And I was like, couldn't it's you just uh, as say blowjob? Like,
1: why did you do that? It's like yes, and now we have this group of kindergartners entering the room after I sing "Mary Had a Little Lamb" out loud. <laughs> Kudos to us for having better. Uh, Standards in the New York Post,
2: those are low. Our standards
0: are much higher than the New York Post. Yeah.
2: Well, I had no idea that, that Trump had such a relationship with the New York Post I didn't know that, like, he was that was essentially his mouthpiece. Yeah. That was something I found out way later.
0: They actually always write really nice articles about me. I don't know who it is that the New York Post that writes them, but they've written like three really nice ones about me. So I probably shouldn't. They never, I always say offensive shit. They never publish it. Thanks, the New York Post. <laughs> that
1: said, the New York Post, I have a friend who writes for it. I have found it's hit or miss depending on who is writing oh, the article. Sure. There have been horrible people who have just been like, oh, you're a sex worker and you don't want to be exposed. Let's call your mom. Those Uh, are not my friends. Yeah. Okay. My friends are the ones who are like, oh, you're into what? Okay. Wait, where is this information coming from your campaign manager? Why are you telling me this? Oh, because you want (laughs) to publish it because you want more exposure. Cool. Sure. I'll write an article about this. Mm -hmm. So I'll have my, sex-positive friends in the New York Post. But that's the thing also. Don't judge a whole publication by necessarily just the one piece you read.
0: Yeah, especially a publication like that. Any of the online ones, like Huffington Post, The Daily Beast, any of them, like they're always hit or miss. I will say that the, uh, and this is going to come out later, but um, the all of the debacle around OnlyFans this week, uh, the media coverage has actually been really impressively pro-sex work. And honestly, like they probably wouldn't have been given like all of the because they caved to, at least for now, allowing uh, sexual content to remain on the platform. But a lot of that is directly a result of publications actually going out. I mean, I've read almost every article so far about it and they really talked to a lot of sex workers. They really made a clear point of why this is harmful, why this is bad and really exposed kind of these anti-trafficking organizations for the evangelical fronts that they are. So kudos to everyone who's written one of those. I've been very impressed and pleasantly
2: surprised this that week. Is super pleasantly great surprising. great yeah. Yeah, I just heard about the OnlyFans thing. It was just kind of like, all right, this is the beginning yeah. of the end. So, like how long before yeah. like Twitter doesn't have porn on it? And I mean, I don't know.
0: If this can really spin into what is actually the more interesting story, and I just talked to the BBC about this too recently, that'll come out in a couple of months. But if like people really can start spinning this to those anti-trafficking orgs being predominantly shady NGOs and charities that pocket massive amounts of money and are all fronts for essentially evangelical hate groups and that the story they're being sold on Facebook of these exploited children, none of the money is going to them and they really just want to get rid of porn. That's the more interesting story. I think if that is the one that gets told this time, that could actually be massive for ending the stigma against sex work.
2: It's amazing when the protect the children thing is used, Mm -hmm. and my uncle was saying, like, whenever you hear that, it probably means they're trying to take away some of your civil liberties, you know, and it's just like, especially when it comes to privacy, like, I remember hearing Bill Barr talk about, like, somebody had, like, thrown him a very softball kind of question, like, what are you doing to protect the children? And he was like, well... Thank you for asking. Like, what we're trying to do is we really need to go after this encryption thing because of all of the, you know, child sex traffickers that hide behind that. And I remember my husband telling me when COVID was happening, like, encryption, that's the next thing they're going after. And it was spine chilling to hear the way that, like, like understanding, oh, this is how they're going to do this. This is how they are going to try to take this away is through the guise yeah. of the protect the children thing.
0: It's not protect the children. It's let's treat
1: you like a child.
2: <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah.
1: Let's access your data. Yeah. yeah. Hashtag protected children. But yeah, so we're recording this episode actually not too long after this OnlyFans debacle, which we still don't have full clarity on. On you know what exactly happened. If it was an internal decision of hey, we're going to attempt to you know try to be mainstream, or if they actually received threats of whether or not to pull you know Visa, Mastercard, Kate. I know the answer to this. Yes. I do know the answer to this.
0: Do you really know if yeah. they got legacy threats? No, I really know what happened. Um, so the biggest thing for these payment processors and the way that they've been pushing this whole agenda, right, of trying to shut down these different sites, because it literally is Exodus Cry going after these sites and making these threats predominantly Hear me out, Alice, because the payment processes do play a point in this. But what they've gone for is the compliance side of it, and what OnlyFans has always struggled with as a platform is their framework for compliance paperwork. So, really, if you want to succeed in this landscape of selling adult content online, you don't need to approach this as a porn site. You need to approach this as a compliance and like standards. So, you really want like kind of like cybersecurity, all of the like these kinds of IT people running the show, not porn people, which I think is kind of always what's happened. So the problem with if you don't have standard framework for making sure, verifying who is using your site, where the money is going, that these people consented, that this video is allowed to be here. If you don't have framework for that, then people can just upload whatever. And from day one, when I've, I've been on OnlyFans for four years, I said it because I come from the business side of this industry. And I said, hey, this is, this is going to be a problem down the line. Because that's a weakness in it because that then you can very easily say, well, there's child sexual assault material on here. There's children accessing the thing because there's no proof that it isn't. And because there's so the site is so popular, there's so many creators on it and so many people subscribe to it, it's impossible to manually do that. It's the same strategy they used on PornHub a few months ago.
1: Yeah. And bear in mind, so if you are on OnlyFans uh, to be a verified creator and even to get payouts, you have to verify who your identity. You have to identify yourself via a driver's license, some sort of
2: identification or passport. This was so tragic when this happened. Uh, yeah, It's a
0: series of photos that's pretty standard in the industry of your ID pictures front and back.
1: Bear in mind though, it's very hard to implement whether or not someone consents to being in a video. So I mean, we could even say that with YouTube. Of if I shot a YouTube today and someone said, Hey, I don't wanna be in this video, I mean That's why you have to have paperwork signed and uploaded with proof. And
0: often the way that porn sites do compliance is like a series of photos with you next to the paperwork that you have signed. So not to say that there isn't correct, you could hold a gun behind the camera and make somebody hold that paper up. You could, but the odds of that happening are much lower than just someone getting a video or posting revenge porn. So those compliance things are what protect adult sites is the point. Agreed. And OnlyFans has been very sloppy about that. And as they've tried to implement these features, they tried to implement facial recognition a few months ago. It somehow just went away. I attempted to do it. It rejected mine. And then it never asked for it again. Weird. So not great, right? So there's a lot of, like, chinks in this armor. Yeah. And that's the one that they've decided to go after. Now, when they went after Pornhub with exactly the same accusations a few months ago, Pornhub is such a mega, mega corporation with so much money that they were very quickly able to flip the switch, not allow downloads, verify creators. They're still not great, but they were easier to, like, kind of pull up the drawbridge much faster than OnlyFans, which can't really do that and was already kind of on a trajectory towards trying to attract a mainstream audience. But part of the point of OnlyFans has always been its mainstream audience. To neglect that component of it, that they weren't always going to go in that direction, is to fundamentally, like,
1: misunderstand even the appeal of the site, But Kate, even OnlyFans neglected the appeal of their site. (laughs) Come on, for social media, up until this whole ban started, they did not even talk about sex workers once. They did not
0: promote a single sex worker. So I agree. I just tweeted very loudly at them about this. But I think, and I don't think this has been done well, but I think the the basic idea of that... Where it's not just nudes of porn stars because there's a lot of those, right? There's a lot of sites for that. It's not just that. It's because there's enough of a component and they promote the component of artists and writers and creators using this platform as well. It becomes much more approachable, especially to a younger generation that is already accustomed to paying for online content. And it starts to blur the lines between content creation. What is adult content creation and what is mainstream and how do we look and value both of those things, And so I actually think for that in terms of like, because we've seen it over the last year and a half, especially since OnlyFans has exploded, the rise of the adult industry influencer. It's not a porn star. And I think a lot of those people, because they inhabit many of the same online spaces that safer work content, like a girl cooking in a bikini or whatever, you know, something more softcore, it becomes more acceptable. And we start, I just think that people have started taking a lot of those kinds of, creators see more seriously than maybe they took sex workers in the past. And I'm not saying that's a good thing, but I think socially for sex work to come, I think in the, even in the last year, again, I've seen sex work be like dragged into mainstream culture in a way that it hasn't been before. I don't think we would be having these conversations if not for that strategy that they used for better or worse. I, th- I think it's wrong to say that it has an absolutely no positive ramification, but I don't think that was intended.
1: No, and I agree. I think, though, it's going to be impossible for any site, whether it's Pornhub, whether it's YouTube, whether it's a YouTube competitor emerging Vimeo, it'll never happen, that to verify the consent of every single person and every single piece of content uploaded is nearly impossible. impossible. And I think we can all agree on that. Yes. But the problem is these nonprofits, really, mm-hmm. you know, anti-sex work groups, are going after specifically that because they know, look, it's going to be nearly impossible, if not exceptionally costly, to do this, and they're going to weigh the pros and cons, and they are going to rather shut it down yep. than move forward with it. They're exploding that it's a war. You're looking
0: for your enemy's weakness, and also the pop- like the tide of public opinion, because you can't just say we want to ban porn. You can say, "Look at all of these poor, exploited women and children." Whereas, if you really care about those poor, exploited women and children, because it's not that they don't exist, it's just that there's more assault and child sex assault on Facebook than any other site. So you should be going at Facebook, not shockingly. These, yeah. Pornhub
1: has a way better reputation. Actually, not shockingly, Pornhub no. has a way better reputation than Facebook <laughs> when it comes to reporting, yeah, CSAM Much material. Yeah.
0: Seriously. As well as like false information. If you really like care about terrible content, if you care about bad things being put on the internet, untrue things, dangerous things, terrible things, uh, you should be looking at Facebook far more than any of these other sites. Not to say that we can't do better. I mean, the porn industry, can. we can always do better. I think we're starting to do a lot better. And again, I think it's good that we're just even having these conversations.
1: What's interesting is kind of going back to um, what I was speaking about earlier, where You have to be very curated almost in your conversations with the media when it comes to, if you are already a taboo group like porn and you're speaking to the media, or if you're a furry and speaking to the media, you have to be very selective in what you were going to say. And it sucks because people already have these assumptions about the specific group they're not easily going to change your minds. I'll never actually forget. Um, earlier on when we were even recording this podcast, we had Alice Little on the show. She's a bunny at the Bunny Ranch. She's one of the top performing bunnies. She makes an absurd amount of money in a year. She's a wonderful person. In the first thirty minutes of you, if you listen to that show, she is exceptionally careful about the language she uses because she realizes I'm representing mm-hmm. other people in the industry even though I want her to speak as herself, and she eventually loosens up and opens up and speaks more as herself. But it sucks, because I know what. there are people listening to this from fucking page six, so we're going to write an article about this goddamn show. I don't know why, but they will. And for that reason, those people are going to take her words or anyone's words, you know, like yours, Dominic, and say, okay, well, this person said and they are from that community, and boop, now it's out there. Now this is a representation on the whole community, and it sucks because this doesn't happen to the knitting community.
0: I bet there's a lot of infighting in the knitting community. Actually, you know what?
1: <laughs> we need to discriminate against the knitting community. No, we
0: don't. My yes, that's we do. V- my friend that's very into it is one of the sweetest people alive, okay? And yes, there is drama in the knitting and, like, wool-spinning community, She's very talented, and I miss her very much. Sorry, I haven't thought about her natures. but yes, I have friends. I have one or two friends in all communities. I'm like a swinger. I've got my fingers in all the pies.
1: If you don't cross stitch, you're a piece of okay. shit.
2: I thought maybe like knitters versus crocheters. There maybe was some right. I oh
0: man! Know. And then, what if they had a showdown? Those needles are sharp. That should be oh, the god. next insurrection yeah. we're
1: concerned about. Battlebots, except it's a knitting community. Oh my god! I think I'm gonna go to Battlebots soon. I'm so excited. So Dominic, I need to know, how have we not talked shit about the furry community yet? What do we, what do we need to do? What do we need to do for them to hate me?
2: (laughs) Um, like, so the movie came out in 2016 and when I was working on it from 2012 to 2014, The fandom was in a kind of different place than it is now. Now, granted, in some ways I think it's worse. (laughs) Um, Oh, no. But I think a lot of that, again, is just sort of the polarization in the country. And I think that's so you can just kind of feel that everywhere. But I was very scared about, well, I was anxious. Part of me, maybe I have this kind of uh, passive death wish, but part of me was sort of like, you know what, I'm going to make the movie I want to make. And if people don't like it. They can fuck off, and I don't care. It's a movie I want. But but then, you know, we had a, a test screening with some furries in the audience, and, you know, seeing people that had, like, a real stake in this that cared a lot, that would get, like, actually very agitated about something that I either brought up or didn't bring up, usually it was, you know... You focus too much on sex, and you didn't talk enough about how furries give to charity. So unless we say the word charity, some furries will get mad. Um, I know how to get furries mad, though. Um, which is-
1: <laughs> Actually, I'll make a furry mad for like two seconds. Sure. So I loved in your film... How you had a specific individual who had wine streams, which were live streams where they got drunk on wine. You know who I'm talking about. And if you don't know, go watch his movie Fursonas. It's worth it. And it was so amusing to me how this particular individual was so curated about how they wanted a specific image about the furry community, but didn't give a shit about their own. It was funny, it was amusing. And my God, if that is the leadership of the furry community, you guys might be doomed.
2: Well, luckily, he's not the leadership of the furry community. There was a period. Yeah, there was a period. I mean, nobody leads the furry community, but on one hand, he was, at least when I came on the scene, people didn't. I mean, some people didn't like him, but most people at least, like, respected what he did. And and I'll just say who it is. This is the chairman of Anthrocon. I'm not saying
1: yeah. that he's not doing wrong, you oh, know, sure. terrible things. Like, he's still organizing and trying to give good advice. It was just so amusing, though, how he would say how to portray, you know, yourself to the media, and all of a sudden just, like just be cursing on camera and be a complete sailor and so inappropriate. It was amazing.
2: It's like this um, tragic flaw from a Shakespeare thing or something like you're so, so your job is to basically police because he gives these panels where he discusses Mm. with furries, how to talk to the media. He kind of coaches them and says like, you know, if they ask about this, deflect, avoid this topic, you know, talk about charity, talk about charity, charity, you know? And, and I think it says more about his insecurity. But the ironic thing is he's so busy watching everyone like a hawk that he's not looking at himself and what he's doing to, you know, potentially make the fandom look worse. Um, Now, I have never met Uncle Kage. I mean, like I said, there's no leader of furry, but he was, for the longest time, Anthrocon was the biggest furry convention in the world. And he was the chairman every year, as far back as I know. Um, And... It was just this kind of thing where a lot of furries had a certain amount of respect for him because it was like, you know, even if they didn't find his stand-up particularly funny, they were sort of like, well, you know, we had a really bad image in the the 90s that we were being exploited a lot, and he helped to show that there was more than this. And I would argue that we kind of never needed him, but at the same time, I understand that he sort of was able to spin the narrative into being more about like, it's not just sex, except I wish he would just say it's not just sex instead of saying it's not sex, <laughs> you know? He, he, he basically kink shames people and so much of it I think is just his own insecurity. Now, but again, in a wine stream that I didn't get the pleasure of seeing, but my friends watched and told me, I will never forget the quote, what he said about me after the movie came out, which is he said, I'm a liar, a thief and a cunt. And I, I, I can't You should help. make t-shirts. <laughs> I can't that's help. a great t-shirt. <laughs> I was also banned. I'm a
1: liar, a thief, and
0: a cunt. And then yeah. I, was, I love then I was that. banned
2: from Anthrocon for life after that. Um, a after
0: liar, me. a thief, and a
1: cunt yeah. walk into a bar. <laughs> and they're all me. <laughs> um. I feel like we can crowdfund a costume so you can go as yourself and he won't know.
2: I The thing about Anthrocon that's cool is that it's so open and you don't need to get a, you don't, like, I wanted to give them my money to pay for registration so I could go to, like, the dance and stuff. But so much of the con is, like, just seeing your friends in their hotel rooms and going yeah. out to the river. So so they can't really police that. Although they did say something about anybody caught aiding and abetting people that are, you know, will also be banned. So they kind of, it, it, I don't know how much of that had to do with me. But in any case, I think that I've never met him. And so I know that he is a human being and he is complex. And he, he comes off as... The, the funny thing is, I have this documentary where I have all these people that open up to me and you get to see how they're human beings. He's the one person that I was dying to interview, but he wouldn't, we couldn't agree on terms for an interview because he was worried about what I was going to ask about. And he said, you know, he's got all his lawyers and stuff and he represents Anthrocon and, and I wanted to have him be more than a caricature. But the ironic thing, he's the only person that you don't see in a fursuit. And yet he is the most cartoonish of them all in the way that he comes off.
1: It's so true. But I know
2: there's more to him than that. I know that he, you know, has a mother and he dreams at night and he has sides that I don't know. So I will not claim to say anything about, I don't know him. So I, and I would love for us to be friends. I would love for us to talk, but he just puts this wall up where, you know, if you are not promoting what he wants to promote You are like an enemy um, and he will come after you personally. And, uh, you know, and it's just words, but words can make people uh, hated by lots of people. And so that's the scary thing.
1: You know what? Open invitation. If he wants a wine stream, I will fucking host it.
2: Yeah. I would right. love we should yeah. all I should survive the <laughs> wine. Because <laughs> you can get a ma- if you if you pay like so much money, you can be a super sponsor for Anthorcon, and you are then treated to like a brunch with him. And I've wanted so badly to Pay that much money to just get in to just be there, and they keep. I keep wanting to pay off every year. I'll like be like, "Hey, take my money," and then they'll be like, "No, you're banned." And then I'll be like, "Okay, well, I'm still going, but you know." I like, should do that at ABN <laughs>
0: next year, Alice. I should sell tickets for exorbitant prices to come get like with me and get drunk at the Circle Bar after.
2: Hundred percent. I'm very fun to drink with at three a.m. You should definitely come to a con at some point. I think you both would really enjoy a convention.
1: I think I would love a furry convention. At this point, after everything I've read, I frankly, I would just go for the fucking costuming. I'd be like, look, I'm not into this, but I really want to learn how this costume was made and if you made it
2: yourself and I have questions. I think mm-hmm. we should
1: both. I think we would both have fun at this. Next Girls Weekend. Right?
2: I know that they're starting. I mean, there's a big hiatus, obviously, because of COVID, but I know some are starting back up, I think. I'm not sure when the next one is, but I highly recommend... Um, You're both in California or...
1: I'm all over the place at the moment. I'm in Vegas about to be in San Fran. I'm traveling the country. Oh, hey, I, yeah, I live in the playhouse,
2: so there you go. Yay, um, I'll see you eventually. Stop by second Saturday of every month. They do this great thing at Frolic, the gay bar in San Francisco. or me, Frolic is the name of the event, The Eagle, the, the which is the gay oh, bar. yeah. Right near the stud. It used to be at the stud.
0: Alice, you would love it. And it's yes. the
2: coolest thing. It's just like a night of fun. There's tons of fursuiters, and it's just crazy, just music and dancing and I can't recommend it highly enough. It's like a mini yeah. con, so uh, yeah, if you're ever in the area.
1: writing this down. Yeah.
0: Yeah. you would like the eagle in general, Alice It's beautiful I've been to the yeah, one cool here i've yeah, I've been to a couple and they're uh, they're like famous old school like gay leather bars. There's a few of them around the country. They're very fun places.
1: Dominic, I'm gonna ask you for details yeah. after this Sweet. show. but for our listeners. Or can they f- watch your film
2: and find more of you? Sure. Um, so the movie is used to be on Hulu. I guess it's not anymore, which is too bad. Uh, but if you are familiar with the website Amazon, they they have it on Amazon Prime. <laughs> um, never heard of yeah, it. Yeah, so you can rent it for four dollars. And I think if you're a Prime person, it's just free already. So and then if you don't want to pay four dollars. Um, I think it's on the Pirate Bay. You can rent it on YouTube too. Um, I rented it on Apple, uh, whatever their oh iTunes yeah. version. of movie is is It is there. Yeah, absolutely. So there's that. I'm what is it? Video the Wolf on Twitter. If you want to follow me, but it, it's, you're not gonna like it. It's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so, but watch the movie.
1: <laughs> okay, guys, watch the film. There's no discount. Just go watch it. It's like a few bucks. Okay, you could get Starbucks or you could get Fursona. Yeah.
0: And you can watch it on Apple TV. And then the new Ted Lasso can come on right now after that, which, by the way, I just realized that I haven't seen the one from Sunday. So I'm going to watch that. But in the meantime, if you would like to find me, Kate Kennedy, I am all over the Internet. You can find me on Twitter at the OG Kennedy. That's the is not the OG like original gangster Kennedy, like the dead president. Um, you can find me on Instagram at the PG like the movie rating because it's safe for work Kennedy uh, That's the PG Kennedy and I'm super super excited to announce that I will be hosting the why not cam awards 2021 uh, Here in Hollywood on October 14th It's going to be a super super fun night and it's going to be broadcast everywhere If you want to watch it if you would like to relive Billy Crystal uh, hosting the Oscars <laughs> Uh, but with tits, you can watch it, uh, live streamed at why on October 14th. Oh, and I will be dancing. Sorry. I need to plug this too. I have a lot going on right now for someone that can't get out of bed. Go for Um, it. <laughs> I will God willing <laughs> be dancing at, uh, the Sacramento gold club, uh, uh, September 8th through 11th, I believe coming up here really soon. So that'll be very fun. Come out and see me in Sacramento at the gold club.
1: And although I've never seen Ted Lasso, I do have Jason Sudeikis's address. No one asked me why. But you guys can follow me at, at Rational Blonde at Twitter. But you can follow the show at all places at TGOM Podcast. We do have a Patreon you could support where you could see the video version of this. So, uh, patreon.com slash two girls and Mike. But you can catch us next week. Make sure to like, comment, leave a review of the show. And of course, share it to all your friends, maybe not family, but definitely a friend. I mean, share
0: it the way that Alice is about to share Jason Sudeikis' address with me um, after the show
2: when we stop recording. I'll second that.
1: (laughs) Jason, I'm so sorry. Not really. You knew what you were getting into when you bought my merchandise. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.